Hello, I'm Sarah Vine, and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus in association with Boots. I am joined this weekend every week by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones. Hello, Imogen. Raw, that almost sounded like it had a band attached to it. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been watching I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here? I have not. Oh, have you not? No. Uh, Hilariously, my daughter messaged me the other night. She has been watching mm. it to say that her and her boyfriend had no idea who Boy George was. Oh. So they Googled him Mm. and then they spent about 20 minutes laughing at music. (laughs) (laughs) Which made me laugh because actually I was thinking about Boy George a bit. And he was never very good. I mean, I just don't think he was. I think Karma Chameleon was an absolutely rubbish song. And I remember when I was in the 80s, because I was in the 80s, I was there. I know you were. And, you had and the makeup and everything. I had the makeup and mm. we all thought he was a bit of a, you know, silly. Well, I used to know him a bit. Because when I was, do you remember when, you, when I was going about town, yes, yes pretending to be when important. top celebrity reporter. When I was top celebrity reporter. And he was my top celebrity reporter's friend. I used to get very drunk and he obviously didn't. He didn't do that very irritating tapping that he's doing now. Oh, okay. Or all that sort of... Um, yes, yes, yes. All, all those mechanisms. Yes. Because by then he'd presumably already given up the heroin. He had given up the heroin. Had he given up the alcohol? I think he'd given up the alcohol. Yeah. He was just clean and serene. Yeah. Why he would go out to these dreadful parties. Was he fun? Was he nice? He was quite a laugh, yes. Oh, good. Okay. He was very, very, very bitchy. Yes, he Which is. was really, really, yes. really good fun. Yes, we're getting that, aren't we, from yes. celebrity? Yes, he was very funny. Yeah. He was my partner in crime for a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Until I got too drunk and let myself down. Have you been watching? Have you watched it though? I've watched quite a lot of it. The only problem, there are two things that are the main problem. Mainly because it's become the Hat Mancock show. Yes, everybody's fallen in love with Matt Hancock. Mm. Katie, Katie, Hind. Katie Hind, that's it. Who's lovely. Wrote a piece about how much she fancies him. No, well, I, no. I'm, I'm going to send her. She, maybe she should go to Boots. There's probably <laughs> something specially for that. There's probably a cream for fancying. <laughs> there that is. There is. Yes. No. He's like the sort of the most exuberant geography teacher you've ever come across. Yes, he is. Um, the other problem is everyone else is a bit stupid. Right. So it's quite dull. What? Apart from George, who's quite bright. Apart from George, who's yeah. quite bright and quite. And Mike, have you noticed that Mike Tyndall talks like a teenager? I know. So like everything is like. I think he's trying really hard to be cool. Like. And- like, you know, and he's talking like about slut drops, like, and he does a slut drop, yeah, like, in front of Princess Anne, I like. Mean, who does the slut drop in no front one, of Princess Anne? No one. I mean, no. Is, I don't really believe a lot of his anecdotes. No, he can't have done the slut drop in no. front of Princess Anne. He's just making it up. I think he is making it up, to be fair. But it is, it's so tortuous torture of Matt Hancock. Yeah. And there is sort of a moment where you suddenly think, this bear pit's getting a little bit dull. And no matter how much wine also, I've drunk, um, it's still not that Also, exciting. I do think it's horrible to eat the private parts of animals. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not really a vegetarian or any of those things, but I do think it's horrid. A chewy old... Some old cheap's vagina is mm, really disgusting. No, it's really not nice. I, the... I mean, I don't mind all the sort of creepy crawlies and that's don't all you? fine and the snakes and things, that's okay. But it's just the idea of eating... Chewing, uh, relentlessly chewing on... It's basically muscle. That's the... Oh, I make myself sick now. <laughs> Oh, I really I think, have. <clears throat> I really have. Oh. Moving on. <clears throat> yes, quickly, please. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Coming mm. up on today's show, we have the brilliant Celia Walden, Love who her. we invited into the studio last mm. week mm. before her husband, Piers Morgan, started tweeting sort of maniacally about 
Cristiano Ronaldo. Have you been watching that on the no, Twitter? No. He's done an interview with him. Anyway, no. it's quite funny. Yeah. Anyway, she's come to talk to us. We got the. I think we got the better end of the deal. Frankly. Oh, she's so beautiful, <laughs> and I can't honestly, dear listener. Her hair. Her hair. Oh my god! How did you get hair like that? I don't know. Yeah. I, it's, it was just beautiful uh, anyway. Sarah and I just basically sat and stared. Yes, it was a bit like having a very beautiful doll in the studio <laughs> yes. that I wanted to play with. She's, play, and make she's funny. in her hair. And she's and, funny. And, <laughs> and sharp and clever and talented. Yes. And, 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 and. and, and. Should we just give up? Yeah, should we just go home? That's a good idea. Let's <laughs> yeah. just give up. Let Celia take over. Yeah, she's much anyway, better. she's written a very good book, which is a thriller, which I've actually now read half of. Oh, it's very good, isn't it? Um, yeah. Which is called Payday. Mm. And even Richard and Judy like it, which is hurrah. Yes. Mm. Celia, hello. hello. I love your book. It's The Colour of Periods. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your intro. Um, it is indeed, yes. And I'll it's tell you why. Red. Apparently that is because women are naturally attracted towards anything that's sort of gory and promises bloodshed, which oh, gosh, I don't know what really? that really says about us. How interesting. That. Well, maybe it was the colour of fruit and the forest that was juicy and that's why, we, that's why we're picking it up. But this is your first thriller. It is. Why did you decide to write a thriller? Because all I Do want you read thrillers. Yes, it's all I want to watch and read is sort of uh, people being decapitated and things like that. Yes, you see, the thing is, um, I have a fantasy about writing a book one day. Yes, and my book is a thriller for the same reason. I love reading about mysteries and. I quite a, like a bit of supernatural in my thriller. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, well, we're no, very different there. This is very much... Well, I just... Um, I'd written a lot of stuff about Me Too and done lots of interviews and I spent half the year in LA um, where, of course, sort of... I actually have a friend who was a, a Weinstein... I was going to say victim, but it's not victim. Survivor, mm. isn't it? Mm. So I, I was just aware of it, this sort of huge wave going on but then also that for a while the conversation got a little bit sort of bonkers and yes. people were making out that all men were these monsters mm. so really it was the shades of grey in between mm. that fascinated me that thing that things are very rarely as simple as they mm. seem at first and not all women are victims in this situation well, it's interesting, it's interesting because, yeah. because I think there is a certain element of because uh, Meghan Markle well, this is all about revenge isn't yes, it it's, it's, a, yes. it's a revenge a revenge thriller yeah a revenge yes. Thriller, exactly. But Megan Sparkle the other day was talking about you know, how she was objectified when she was a young actress. Yes. Yes. Uh, do you think there's a sort of, I mean, there is a bit of a transactional thing that goes on that women are reluctant to admit. Yes. I wrote a piece about when I was a young journalist mm. trying to get into newspapers. Mm. And, you know, I did show up in a short skirt in a pub. Oh, with a I used to wear hot pants to work. Over, you know. <laughs> And I got myself a shift. I'm amazed you're not wearing them now. <laughs> yeah. Imagine wearing uh, hot pants to work. I, mean, I consider it to be the thing is I consider that to be a power. You know, yes, when you're yes. young, pretty, yes. you know, you've got an advantage. So just use it. Don't well, be ashamed of it. Own it. Well, yeah. exactly. And again, sort of interviewing various women throughout the years mm. in, in America, I've noticed it's very split. So you'll have some A-list actresses who talk about nude scenes being incredibly empowering mm. and others who feel that they're being mm. uh, sort of preyed on. And actually, there's no reason why all women should sort of agree, uh, should no, they, uh, well, on, on every... Yeah. Um, I always think that in itself is pretty sexist, mm. the idea that we should all think the yes, same way. Yes, we're all cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But I mean, this is very exciting. So how did you plot this? Because I've written lots of things and I've never managed to write a thriller. Do you work backwards or do you work forward? decide what the murders are going to be? And yes. Then... Well, I did. But then a funny thing happened about three quarters of the way through this one mm -hmm. where it's all plotted out scene by scene on index cards on a cork board. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. 
about three quarters of the way through, the murderer changed. Oh. And it was as if it happened organically, mm. that, that it was actually all along supposed to be not, but... X or Y. Yes. Yes. So how interesting. So that's actually when writing a book is works because you get into what's known as flow. And, and <laughs> ah, flow. And that's when your characters become themselves and they take on their own. And then they do their own thing. Then they do their own yes, thing. And that's, that's a sweet spot. I yes. find that happens after yeah. the fourth coffee. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or never. Did you write in the, the UK or LA? I'm fascinated <laughs> to know what it's like to live in LA. In Can LA, you tell me what it's yeah. like? Is well, it literally all everyone having a juice all well, the time? Well, you would you would love it because you just never stop laughing. But <laughs> you, you you just can't quite believe that. The, and, and of but course, all these ridiculous people exist. That it, the, and that people are saying things with a completely straight face. Right. Like I remember um, a very rare occasion, someone else at the dinner table at a dinner party having a, a glass of wine because mm. nobody else normally drinks. No you, one drinks dinner. No wines. one, because it makes their face puffy and they're convinced it makes you fat. I mean, where where on earth I mean, does that for this. I mean, I think Imogen and I are testimony to the fact that it does not make you fat or Alcohol classy. is actually slimming. Yes, it's, it's as if they're just, you know, creating yeah. facts out of thin air. That's anyway, hilarious. the only other woman was drinking and I sort of made a comment about it and she said, oh yeah, I'm a user. What? And I just thought, oh my oh God, my this God. is a just user. a user because they call it being a user. If you but what do they do for fun if they don't drink? Sorry, I'm sorry, sounds well, so they, ridiculous. I think but they what? find prescription drugs much more effective oh, um, right. generally. But what I find with that is at least with alcohol, you know where you are. So yeah. if you're sitting next to someone who's drunk, you're aware that they're drunk. Yes. There are various signs. But with prescription drugs, <laughs> you're just never quite sort of sure what's going on. So you'll be talking to someone and their eyes are not quite sort of, you know, mm. not really focusing on you. Yeah. Or, they're, or they do that uh, with slow blinking that people on heavy yes. drugs do. Yes, yes. Or, or one eye goes before the other, mm. which is a real tell. Which is, yes, yeah. that's true. Yes. Um, and talking about themselves a lot. And uh, anyway, so I'm saying this like there's nothing good about it. Obviously, <laughs> there's a load of great stuff there. I love it. I would happily live there, but my husband refuses to. So... Yes. Yes, I can imagine he must find it quite difficult. Yes. For the listeners who don't know, Celia's married oh, to Piers to, oh, Morgan. Piers. Now you've gone and ruined Sorry, it. Yeah, you? ruined it. I know what, yes. Well, you know, we're both, we were both, but, well, I was married, you are married to two quite uh, to tricky men. Yes, tricky no, men. social pariahs is what I would well, say. That's just rude. Oh. No, it's oh. not. I, although I love your husband <laughs> and actually yours. So I'm, I'm friends of social pariahs. Uh, yes, no, quite hard work. Though. Well, it is. I sometimes think I should have a T-shirt printed that says across it, I am not my husband. Because, yeah. you know, I happen to love him and I am married to him, but I am not him. No. But then I don't know, Sarah probably has had this a fair amount. People quite often come up to you and then proceed to tell you exactly what they think. And the thing about Piers is, and you say, Look, obviously I'm not going to agree with you on yeah, this because Let's... I'm married to him. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. Do you get any abuse? Because I used to get quite a lot of abuse. Yeah. I do, yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. how do you deal with it? I find it just extraordinary that people can... They sort of can't separate. I think Particularly you, you're your own subsidiary yeah. of that person. Well, also, just to be, I do think that doesn't happen the other way around. Don't no, you think? No, it doesn't. The man doesn't immediately take on all the woman's sins. No, although mm. I have to say, um, once I got very cross with a man mm. in a road rage incident in my husband's constituency. Actually, it wasn't a road rage <laughs> incident. He was being very unreasonable. And I told him that course, he was being unreasonable. Yes. Anyway, he wrote a letter of complaint to my husband's oh, office. Sure. Saying, saying your, your wife. I, your wife is very rude. And I suggest you 
try and do something yeah. about it. <laughs> I hope that's on the loom wall. But I, but I always think that you, particularly, because I, I go out with Sarah a lot, yes. that I think, I always say to Sarah, you're three glasses of wine away from a jabbing, which is when someone comes up to you and goes, the thing about you oh. is, um, <laughs> it always happens at a party yes, where yes. somebody feels emboldened by yes. alcohol yes. and they suddenly think, oh, there's Celia. I'm going to go, also, oh, yeah. I'm going to go and give her a piece of yes. my and mind. you can tell like, when it's you going really to happen. Want it. Yes. <laughs> you can tell when it's going to happen because you catch them out of the corner of yes. your eye looking at you oh, yes. a lot. Yeah. And you think, I don't know that person, but they're really looking at me a lot. Yeah. Yes. And then you see it's them... It's like bulls before they charge yes. when they're rubbing their foot against the floor. Exactly. <laughs> 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 they're sort of stalking yes, you across right. the party floor yeah. and do you have a stock response do you just say I'm just not going to agree with you because I married him well, or um, I don't know I sort of try and be good natured about it right. do you ever rise up and defend him because there was a time I mean, you did I, a lot I, I used to get really cross but especially with people who used to come I don't know if you get people in the street I used to get people in the street we used to get people in the you street you did yeah so I remember once at Victoria Station some woman coming up to him and shouting at him when he was at education. And I just lost it totally. I was so... Anyway, stations are always a bad trigger <laughs> yes, for me because it's quite yeah. a stressful thing. Yeah. The children were really small. Mm. This woman was a supposedly a teacher. And she was uh, just... She was so abusive. Mm. I just... I actually... I mean, I I, I didn't. Yes, mm. we well, have to be civilised about it. I remember after Megan... And by the way, I should say that he gets a lot of... In fact... Since the Megan debacle, um, mm. I'd say it's ninety nine point nine percent positive in mm. the street. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I remember once my poor daughter went for a walk with him in the park, and it was immediately after. Mm. And suddenly, all sorts of people started coming round and sort of shaking his hand and saying, um, "Thank you for standing up." They didn't really care about Megan particularly. It was about mm. sort of being able to speak your mind. Mm. Um, and uh, my my daughter recounted this to me later on. She's ten, and then she said, "Suddenly, this um, very angry woman on a bicycle stopped and that." By this stage, there was a little crowd mm. around around Pierce and just shouted out, I think you're all disgusting. <laughs> and, and my daughter was going, what? And me? I, I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, it's quite tough for the kids, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, yeah. very much so, very much so. Gosh, yes. But in all your writing, you've yes. been... Because you did your column in L.A., from L.A., didn't yes, you, for yes. ages. And you've written two other novels. I have. My first novel was a love story that I wish I hadn't written, really. But never mind. It's, uh, you know, it's all a learning they process. They always say the first novels will just be put in the bottom drawer yes. and left. Yes. yes. And the second one was about a very curious time I spent with George Best, babysitting him as a journalist. And uh, So what was that so like? That was completely mad, but kind of thrilling in its own way, mm. as a, journalistically, you know, mm. that yeah. thing of, of... How old were you when you were doing that? I must have been, I suppose I was, twin, what was I, my late 20s? Oh, okay. Um, and so what did you do? You just spent all your time with him? All my time with him, You yes, moved in? Including staying with him at his house, including going abroad with him to Malta. For how long? For It ended, it was on and off, it was over about two months. Wow. So I got to know him very well. And then, and, and he was exceptional, which I hadn't realised at the time because I didn't really care about football and mm. I just saw him as a... But then as you meet sports men and women since and you think actually he had this extraordinary brain and was just I think he would have been one of those people everyone goes up to in the pub even if he hadn't been famous which which is oh. quite a gift isn't it oh okay what well, because he was that charismatic he was he was just very funny and kind of and uh, and you know appealing to women what, anyway what do you think, I think. drove his addiction because it was just awful his addiction wasn't it mm. I wonder if it was having a very high IQ yeah. and sort of almost being a sort of thwarted intelligence I think sometimes I mean 
Did he have a good education? Not really. He didn't know. That's the thing. I think with very bright people Mm. who aren't channeled into something sort of constructive at an early age, I think they often end Mm. up doing that. Also, very, very clever people. I think sometimes their brains just make a lot of noise. I think alcohol deadens that. Because my father, when he was young... Mm looked exactly like George Best. Mm. And he used to get people coming up to him all the time saying, yeah, George Best. But my father also, similar background, Mm. also really clever, also not really channeled. And I remember him once saying to me, and he does drink a lot as well, and it has been a problem most of his life. Mm. But I remember him saying, I remember asking him why he drank so much. And he said, because it just shuts my brain down a little bit. It just makes it a bit quieter. I'm sure that's true. And with George, I remember this extraordinary fact about his mother who had never touched a drop of alcohol. And then he became incredibly famous. And she suddenly started drinking. But I think she was, I can't remember what age, but I mean in midlife. Mm. And very, very quickly became an alcoholic and died. And you think, isn't that extraordinary? Mm. Um, And did you meet Callum, his son? I did. In fact, I knew Callum from sort of parties and things before. Mm. and, And he's very nice. Presumably writing these books, you know, my columns and your columns, mm. you know, they're a way of sort of asserting my... Your own yeah, right, your identity. own independence, um, yes. And it's quite interesting because since Michael and I split up, and we're still very good friends, but mm. since we split up, quite a lot of readers email me and say, you write completely differently. Oh, do oh you? really? Do you you're totally different. You're, you, In what way? Well, you're just, I don't know, they say, you know, you're just, you, you seem more assertive, more yourself, more, less, less inhibited, I suppose. Uh. Well, maybe thought there would be repercussions if you yes, did something. Exactly. Well, yes, I always did, yes, because yes. I was always in trouble if I did something. Yes, yes that's true. Well, mostly true. in trouble all the time, but, you know, <laughs> often often in trouble because if I disagreed with someone's policy or something. Yes, yes. yes. Well, you be, were in a particularly tricky yes. situation. Yeah. You don't have that problem. No. Piers is not political, so. No, no. Um, but there's other. But this... Is this a sort of attempt to try and assert yourself a little bit, or yes, do you think? Yes, I suppose. So. I, I suppose. So. I just. Um, I really enjoyed sort of telling myself mm. a juicy because the only thing I want to read about, I pared it down the other day because I've reached that stage of my life, that old woman stage, where there's nothing I ever want to read or watch, and it's because that I can't do so many things. I can't do science fiction. I can't do gravel mm. drives. I can't do. Anything Gravel to do drives. with cults. Is, is that actually um, a, a genre? A genre, yes. yes. You know, you're so many dra- I had no gravel idea drives. Gravel um, drives. Oh yeah, all Ooh. the all the uh, you know um, uh, stately drives. homes yes, and stuff. They all have yes. Gravel yes. And, That's um, brilliant. I've and, never uh, heard that before. <laughs> and, uh, but all I want is basically really twisted, dark women mm. doing awful things. Mm. Is that too much to ask? No, no and no, I like the fact that it's I mean, the women doing your, as your it rather than the men. Because normally it's the... <laughs> well, the men are doing it too. Yes, this, but, you, but, yes, but, but you, I like the fact that it's a female protagonist. Yeah. So, yeah, have you discussed this with your shrink? <laughs> I mean, I think it must be. Well, it was funny because the um, well, the only time I think I've ever met Camilla, mm. you know, when they do that great thing where they've obviously been briefed very well by, oh, the, yes. by the person, and she I know is very personable anyway. And mm. but but she was working her way around the room. She got to me, and someone had had obviously this was it was a couple of years ago, I mm. suppose. But she somehow she knew, or maybe it was just a year ago. Anyway, she said, "So, um, Celia, I hear you've just written a book about an absolutely awful man who finally gets his come up." from mm. a load of women and I said I I have actually and she leant forward and went where did you get that idea from <laughs> and uh, and then quietly walked on I thought that was fabulous she's got quite a developed sense of humor yes, yes. she's also an avid reader did oh, you know that I, I think she does. she really is an avid reader yes. she's got her own book club That's with her right. with That's her right. with her posh lady friends mm. and they go to Portugal and stuff mm. on holes oh. and read round the swimming pool yeah. apparently that- I yes. bet she has. A I good bet laugh. she's read this. 
I hope so. Yes. And also, it's a Richard and Judy pick. It is. That is a massive thing. I know. That's very exciting. Because I think with hardbacks, you very rarely get the kind of dream thing of walking into a shop and Mm. just seeing a table overflowing with them and things. But WH Smith at the moment, I just just want to go in there and stand there for hours looking. I am. I I love it. Not personally. But But no, but Richard and Judy pick is is like, it comes with a choir of its own. (laughs) It really does. It does. In my head all day. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Judy Finnegan, as she was known. Judy Finnegan? That was her nickname, apparently. Really? Yes. Her dresses used to call her Judy Thinnigan because she wanted to be Thinnigan. Oh, I see oh. Thinnigan. Oh, well, I she see. was very funny because we did do you do. She's you have very to, funny. You too. do a podcast, you know, to go along with being a pick, and we did ours the other day, and yeah. we were talking about ghastly bosses because Jamie, the lead character, well, the antagonist, um, mm-hmm. is uh, is the world's most revolting boss, and she said she'd had quite a few of that breed in her career. So. I bet, well, I bet yeah. she was a properly foxy, yeah. Yeah. really yeah, pretty yeah. foxy reporter yeah. in the olden days. From a really days. young age, yes, wasn't she? Yes, as well, yeah. absolutely, yes. And uh, yeah, I imagine she's probably had a, a plenty of horrid bosses in her I time. Think, well, I think we probably all have. Well, um, yes. Not necessarily only male, but... but um, well, at, I good have point, the actually. Most, <laughs> the most unpleasant <laughs> boss I ever had was a female. Oh, really? And mine. Mine yes. was so she horrible. Was so horrible to me. I almost had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Mine was so one. horrible. She used to use her bra cups as an ashtray. So she'd no. sit, she'd smit oh, smoking, and her fag ash would just slip between her cleavage oh, all day. Gosh. And I could imagine at the end of the day, she'd flap her bra out, and no. literally 16 butts would come out. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> she left journalism. Yeah, there are some terrible... <laughs> I, my worst male boss used to get me to come up when he was talking to his friends. This was back when you could smoke in offices mm. and light his cigarette for him in what? front of all his what? friends at the end of the day. That was... Like some sort of cocktail waitress. He would take you aside and say, Celia, no, he so would, when I'm standing with... All, sorry. He, it, it was... Because <laughs> he would be sitting with his friend. I would come up and he would say, um, I would like you to take the lighter and light my cigarette and it would be in his <gasps> mouth and it would be like a, you know, dance on your hind legs type thing. Oh, so thing. you would put wow. it into your lips and light it? No, he would then, have it no. in his lips and oh, he'd be okay. waiting for me to and lean you're, over. Well, you're, and you're supposed to bend over and bend show over. your yeah. cleavage at found, the same time. Yeah, and bending over was usually part of the equation. Yeah, always, yeah. yes. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> What an extraordinary thing to make you do. And what, know, what you were supposed to do, sort of plant a little kiss on his cheek as well, you I left. I think it was to show, again, with all those things, it's power, isn't it? Yeah. Rather than, it's not sex, actually. It's just, look what I can make her do. Yeah, especially. I can make a pretty girl do something for me. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I... No wonder you're inspired to write Payday. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, Zula, give us an overview of the book. So the story is, I should break it down, there's, a, there's three women who all work in a, a London office for a revolting man named Jamie. Mm. And he has sort of maligned them all in different ways. One of them he has overlooked. The other one he has sort of consistently stolen her ideas. And the third one, well, I don't want to ruin it. But anyway, they're all different generations of women as well. And one day at an office party, they don't really know each other. It's a big office, but they end up very drunk at a corner table and they decide to make him pay that he can't be allowed to get away with this. Oh, what fun. I love Um, this. Yeah. But their plan very, very quickly unravels. Mm. And Jamie, and this isn't a spoiler because it's on page one. Mm. You've got to have a stiff on page one. Yeah. Um, Jamie (laughs) ends up dead in a really, really nasty way. Oh, good. Yeah. 
What fun. <laughs> what, what other rules are there? Stiff on page one. Well, stiff on page one, I was told, was the real... Uh, <laughs> I didn't know a thriller has to start with a stiff on page one. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I suppose there are new rules according mm. to our gnat-like attention spans. Yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> so are you going to become one of those famous thriller writers? I hope so. Yes. I yeah. can't think of anything nicer. I think that and then screen, screenwriting and getting a second husband and moving to LA is oh, basically good. the way... Are you going to get rid of the first one? It's then? all... Well, it depends. Can you have one in LA and one in London? Mm. You should be able to. I don't know what the laws are. Yeah, that might be big of me. <laughs> Imogen's fairly clear. She's looked it up. Yeah. She's already it explored this option. But I'd go ahead. Yes. I mean, why not? No, I know. Yes. I know. Would you prefer to live in LA? I'd happily live there, yeah. Yeah, I'm despite a, uh, the mad people. Despite with, the mad people, maybe because of them. Yeah, the just, weather's certainly nicer. It's so much nicer, and I quite like that whole. I, actually, no, a mix of the two is good because LA is like enforced rehab, basically. Mm. So you go there, you don't really drink. You yeah. go and you go and see stuff, and you go to the beach instead of again drinking. Mm. And you realise it frees up a lot of time when yeah, you're yeah. not yeah. drinking. Yes, you, without the hangover and yeah. without the actual drinking, and you become a really good parent. Yeah. Um, and then. <laughs> <laughs> and then That's you true. you come back here, but then after a few months here, you're ready to. Yes. Do you think we drink so much in England because it's so boring? I know it's because it's cold. Is it the weather? I think it's cold I and grey. I think it's cold, but I also think it's because it's just made unnecessarily hard to do anything else. You know, you yeah. can't see an exhibition past kind of five, and no. you know, everybody's in the office till five. So yeah. when's that ever going to work out? Mm. You know, it's just not catered for people existing in any other way yeah. apart from in the pub. Whereas in LA, presumably, well, people do it for health reasons, presumably. Yes. Well, they think it, they, I told you, they, they think it, it makes you get fat. Mm. Um, and also that it makes you get old. Mm. Which it does. Of None oh. of those are true. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my great friend, uh, Sean McCauley, who you used to know as yeah, well. Know Do you know well. Sean? Yes. I used to work with him on the Mail on Sunday years and years ago. And he suddenly decided one day that he was going to go and live in LA. Yes, I remember. And this was the hardest drinking, hardest smoking, hardest partying really? that I had yes, ever was, met. Yeah. Oh, he's he was, not that anymore. He was CEO of parties. Yeah. And he went to LA. And within six weeks, he was running up and down some massive canyon staircase oh, so, oh, yes, and yeah. had stopped drinking and smoking and is completely yeah. transformed oh, yeah, and has never yeah. looked back. No, but that is true. You, you, It does something weird to you. And I, in fact, my friends had to have an intervention because I had a wardrobe <laughs> that I at first started sort of trying to wearing here too, because of course you lose all sense of taste. Mm. Um, and <laughs> and so, so I sort of became a Kardashian over the course of about a year oh. and was everything, everything had caramel chunks coloured. of sort of bits Did missing. Did bandage dresses oh, and stuff? constantly. Yeah. Um, and bits missing from the sides and, you know, at one stage, I think I had shoes that had sort of transparent heels and came back to London wearing this stuff. And my friends were saying, no, 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 I don't know what you think you're doing. Yes, but you put can't. Some I can tell that this is that Celia's wearing a very sensible jumper yes, today. Yes, yeah, very British. She's not wearing a sort of see-through. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, fantastic, fantastic. Well, huge congratulations. Yes, it's brilliant. And Thank you. Thank you very I'm much. In awe of anyone who can write a book. Yes. Really and can I can I say what you've written inside? Yes, you may. What so, have you written inside? So she's written inside mine, for which I am so grateful. To Imogen, you know how much I like a twisted woman. <laughs> <laughs> for which I, that is literally... And the, that goes for both of you, yes. really. Yes, it's true. <laughs> well, good luck. Thank you and very much. And good luck with the husband, the first husband, the second the husband. husband. yes. Well, and the future in LA. Right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> Celia, thank you so thank much. Thank you so thank much, you, Celia. Yes, thank, thank you. you. That was the brilliant Celia Walden, interviewed by me and Imogen last mm-hmm. week. And her new book, Payday, is out now. 
Ready for flu season? It's starting to get colder outside, so it's best to be prepared. Help protect yourself and the people around you by booking your flu jab appointment at Boots as soon as possible. Book in with the trusted experience team at over 1,900 Boots pharmacies nationwide. Pop in store or book online at boots.com flu and give yourself the best protection against flu. Eligibility criteria and charges may apply, subject to availability. The world of finance was rocked when a cryptocurrency exchange collapsed. Mm. But if, like us, you haven't got a clue what any of that Mm. means Mm. and don't know your bitcoins from your blockchains or why this crash makes any sense or it's of any interest really whatsoever (laughs) to anybody, you'll be pleased to hear from our guest who's going to explain it all to us. Mm. Financial expert Iona Bain Mm. is here. Hello, Iona. Hello there, ladies. So, Iona, thank you so much for joining us. Now, explain to us what happened in a nutshell. Well, I mean, cryptocurrency wasn't in a great place even before this recent scandal. So cryptocurrencies had been falling quite sharply this year. But FTX has definitely triggered something of an earthquake in the crypto world. Is FTX his business? What is FTX? Yes. So FTX (laughs) is the business that has gone bust, essentially. And it was founded by Sam Bankman-Fried, who is 30 years old and was described as the king of crypto and was very active on the economic, political and financial scene in the US. And until very recently was seen as maybe one of the good guys in cryptocurrency, someone who Mm. was championing more regulation, who was also Mm. buying up businesses that had gone bust in Mm. the crypto market this year. And so it really did come as a massive shock recently when there were um, some stories that were run on a crypto news site that were essentially questioning FTX's internal accounts and looking at some rather shady dealings with a sister firm called Alameda. Very complicated stuff, but essentially it Mm. really spooked investors who were using this exchange to buy and sell cryptocurrency. And they rushed to withdraw their money and the platform couldn't honour those withdrawals. So it was a bit like an old-fashioned bank run, but it just all took place Mm. online. Can I just ask, if you're if you're not a gangster or an arms mm. dealer, could you go to the shops with crypto? I and mean, what is the point of having cryptocurrency? What does it do? I mean, what can you do <laughs> yeah. with it? Can you buy makeup? Really, I mean, can, can you go to Boots and buy makeup? Can you go makeup? to Boots with it, for example? I mean, you know, because I don't understand. It's all, yeah, anyway, sorry. Go ahead, please. If you help. can't go to Boots and buy makeup with it, which you can't do at the moment, then yeah, you're right. I mean, what's its value? I mean, it was originally designed to be an alternative to national currencies like sterling and the US dollar. And there is a minority of businesses that do accept Bitcoin. But yeah, I mean, we're talking a very small minority. If you try to go down your local chippy and ask if they accept Bitcoin, you won't get very far. Um, And I think what's happened over the past 12, 13 years since the first cryptocurrency Bitcoin was founded in 2009 is that actually it's not really become a functional currency. It's Mm. too volatile for that. It's actually become more of an investment asset. It's something that people have piled into in the hope that it will become more and more valuable over time. And I think that's one of the core problems with it. Isn't it just the numbers on a spreadsheet, though? Because Mm. most currencies have economies and countries behind them. They Mm. have actual people and industry and people making things and selling things and stuff behind them. But crypto doesn't have that. Mm. It's just a sort of a series of numbers in a blockchain. But you can apparently mine it. You can mine it in Kazakhstan. I mean, this is where my brain... (laughs) very small brain just explodes at the idea that people are mining it in Kazakhstan. 
Yeah, well, I think to your point, Sarah, about, you know, whether or not, you know, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies can actually be used out there in the real economy and, and have any real value. It is a very legitimate concern about this, because I think maybe when it was first invented and, and you had people championing it in the beginning, there was this hope that perhaps it could work in countries like Venezuela, where mm. you have seen you know, obviously their currency has become worthless. You know, the Bolivar is more valuable as kind of craft paper than it is as actual money. So in mm. a country like that, you've got a high degree of adoption of cryptocurrency because that's kind of stepped in to become the replacement de facto national currency. But in mm. other countries like the US and the UK, where, well, most of the time our currencies are pretty stable, obviously recent events have challenged no. that. But <clears throat> no, most of the time when they're pretty stable, actually, you have to wonder, you know, is Bitcoin really a kind of functional stable currency that we could all end up using one day? Or is it more of a get-rich-quick scheme? And also there are just many, 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 many minor now cryptocurrencies mm. lying around, aren't there? Mm. Yes. There are all yes. sorts of little little ones that exist and they mm. sort of track Bitcoin. Bitcoin is sort of the main mm. one. And then there's Ethereum, yes. isn't there? See, I, I was <clears> going to be paid in Ethereum's about five years ago. I was going to do a book with a oh, Russian right. oligarch mm. and he offered to pay me in <laughs> Ethereum's and I said no I'd like dollar please thanks <laughs> <laughs> but had I made a mistake no, I, I think that was the right call for sure. And I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that about, you know, there being an oligarch involved. I mean, about 46% of Bitcoin transactions relate to illegal activity. So it is being mm. used for an awful lot of crime out there. But that's interesting because I would have thought that the fact that it's digital makes it more traceable, not less traceable. Yes, it's a good point. Although the thing about the blockchain, which is this kind of another piece of jargon that tends to scramble people's brains, that's the transparent part of the whole cryptocurrency system. So it's a kind of public digital register that records every single Bitcoin transaction. It's not overseen by banks or governments. It's managed by its own users, its own buyers mm. and sellers as part of a peer-to-peer -peer network. But the thing is that actually you don't get to see the identity of those buyers and sellers. It's just a string of numbers. Okay. And am I right in thinking that there's a finite amount of Bitcoin available, that it was made, no one knows who made it. It's meant to be one person or is it a group of people we don't know? It was made. All I thought at they once. were mining we don't in know. Kazakhstan. Yeah. I thought that's what they yeah, were doing. Yeah, um, and also in China, and it can't be mined, you know, on your Apple Mac in your lunchtime. We're talking about really high-powered specialist supercomputers, which are very energy-intensive as well. So there's lots of environmental concerns about this whole mining mm. phenomenon. But yeah, that's the only way that you can mine Bitcoin. And the idea is that with this digital mining it's going to become harder and harder to do that over time. So in theory, Bitcoins will become more valuable. And, and you're right. It was designed in such a way that there is only a finite number of Bitcoins, 21 million that can end up in circulation. Iona, could you please just explain quickly what actual mining Bitcoin, does it involve wearing a hat and having a shovel or is it something else? <laughs> no, it's basically all happening online. And instead of you donning a hat and getting a shovel out, you get a computer to solve incredibly complicated equations. And if they solve enough of those equations, it unlocks new Bitcoin. And so that's how you mine it. I mean, I think the problem for people like me and Imogen, who sort of basically grew up in an analogue world, <laughs> is that mm. we can't really see the value of something that is purely digital. That you can't hold in your hand. Yeah. yeah. Can't eat it, have sex with it. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, rent it. Rent All it. the good things in life, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it is, it is a really 
interesting and difficult concept to get your head around. I mean, you know, I've been writing about money now for 11 years. Um, yeah. And so cryptocurrency has always been on my radar and it's got more and more popular over that time. So it, I've really taken it on myself to try to find out as much as I can about this whole world. But what's really struck me is that actually most people who get involved with it don't understand how it works. And a lot of them will pretend that they do understand how mm. it works. And so if you ever kind of go on TV, radio, in, in the media, like I do, talking about these issues, and, and if you try to be fair as well, you're not kind of just criticizing cryptocurrency, you're just pointing out the risks, the fact that it's unregulated, the fact that it's really volatile, you know, the fact yeah. that you could lose your money, you get mm. this kind of horde of crypto bros coming after you saying that you don't crypto know enough, bros. that you're I not an expert. That. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, 79% of crypto investors are men. I'm quite interested in the sort of sort of person who is interested in this sort of mm. thing because I know that mm. you do quite a lot of work on Discalculer. Mm. And mm. I, I'm convinced that I have Discalculer. Mm. I mean, I really am convinced that I have Discalculer. When I was a child, I mean, I was so bad at maths. It wasn't, it just was, I mean, I can't, <laughs> I, if I have to dial a phone number with too many fives or sevens in it, I actually can't do it. It will take me about yeah. 10 attempts. I'm the same. Because I, because mm. I mix them up mm. in my head. Tell me a bit about Discalculate. I'm interested to know because it's something that I'm yeah. convinced I've got. Mm. And that's my excuse anyway for being rubbish with money. Mm. No, no, no. It's, I, I think it's a very poorly understood thing. So I kind of became much more public about having Discalculate like, because I work in finance, I write about money. I felt it was really important to just be open about the fact that I've always struggled with numbers myself, that it just does not come naturally to me to do sums that other people might just be able to work out, you know, in seconds. And I've just had to accept that's not how my brain works. Having that diagnosis at school, it wasn't like then, you know, it was an excuse for me never to have to do any maths ever again. Because actually, whilst I don't accept that, you know, having a healthy relationship with money is all about understanding the maths and making the sums work and so on, you have to admit it is a big part of it. You can't run away from maths. So I really wanted to kind of encourage other people to, to not be afraid of numbers, to kind of appreciate that you don't need to do a maths PhD to have a working understanding of money maths, things like understanding the unit price in the supermarkets as opposed to the headline price and how that can tell you whether a product is good value, you know, working out mortgage fees versus interest rates and so on. You know, it's not too complicated, but it can feel obviously quite challenging if, yeah, like you and me, Sarah, you've got dyscalculia and you're kind of wondering, okay, how do I do this? Do you have any sort of tips in order to make sure that you've a, like, like written down a telephone number correctly, <laughs> yes. which Sarah guarantees won't be able I, to? I just can't do it. I it's, know you can't. It's horrendous. Yeah. 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 It's also it's also known as number dyslexia, mm. isn't it? Which yeah. is it's a form of dyslexia. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and sometimes describing it that way helps people understand what it is and go, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And um, well, firstly, I never do sums under pressure. So I think, you know, just explain to people around you that you need to take time, that you don't want to be put under pressure, making mm. sure you do like things like budgeting when you're feeling fresh, mm. energized, not too distracted. Mm. I know that's a big ask in our, in our mm. lives today, but I tend to do my budgeting like on a Saturday morning. That's a good time for me when I know mm. that I can take my time to do the sums and check they're correct. And I don't get rushed into any financial decision and I'm always conscious of, of having a breathing period in terms of, you know, if I've changed my mind about something and I work out mm. it's not a very good deal, I know I can pull out of it. And I also like using online budgeting tools because having those visual things like pie charts to represent, you know, mm. my spending, that helps mm. me see what, what's happening to my money much more than just numbers on a piece of paper or a screen. Those don't have as much 
much meaning for me. But then again, other people like to use cash and that helps them have a much firmer grip on on how much money they're actually spending. It's interesting cash is making a comeback at the moment. I think I feel a little bit more clued up about crypto now. I shall, I shall, uh, I'm glad I wasn't paid in Ethereum. So that's all I, I know. Yeah. I'm very glad Very you glad, yes. That, well, thank you very much, Iona. That was brilliant. You're very welcome. And uh, maybe we'll have you as our resident money expert. That's a very good idea. Yeah, because yes. I think we might need one of yes. those. Yes. Yeah, well, you do. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. Yes, please do ask me back whenever you have any financial questions. I will happily answer them. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Thank that you was very great. much. That was financial expert Iona Bain on cryptocurrency and numbered dyslexia. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus, me at Westminster Wag, or Imogen at Imogen EJ. Thank you for listening. <laughs>